Welcome to the Life of Christ, Series 3, Term 1. This is Lesson 5. Alright, we're going to continue in Chapter 4. What I might do is just read some of the verses leading up to where we left off, just to get us all in sync. And my page is not turning. Damn it. Okay. John Chapter 3, Verse 22. It says, After these things, Jesus and His disciples came into the land, of Judea, and there he remained with them and baptized. Remember, after these things is after the conversation he had with Nicodemus. All right. And remember again that we said that Jesus himself did not baptize anyone, because in John 4.2 it says, very clearly tells us, though Jesus himself didn't baptize them. All right. His disciples did. Verse 23 in John 3, he says, Now John also was baptizing near Anon, near Selim, because there was much water there. And literally, there was a lot of different streams and, and waterways there. And they came and were baptized. For John had not yet been thrown into prison. So that, remember again, we, we said that there was a time when John the Baptist ministry and Jesus' ministry were running concurrently. They were running side by side. Amen? And, and we discussed that. And um, we know people were going out by the droves. And in fact, John's disciples are going to exaggerate that a little bit. All right? And then in verse 25, it says, Then there arose a dispute between some of John's disciples and the Jews about purification. Verse 26, And they came to John and said to him, Rabbi, he who was with you, remember again that they don't even call him Jesus. They just said, he who was with you. You know that guy? Yeah, that's the one, okay? He says, he who was with you beyond the Jordan, to whom you have testified, behold, he is baptizing, which was wrong, only his disciples, and all are coming to him, which was also wrong, because they had people coming to them still. Okay, but remember again, you know, people get a little bit <laughs> uh, protective, possessive, put whatever word you want in there. After a while, it's my ministry, nobody else gets to do it. <laughs> okay, and so we were having this small problem happening here. And this is where we got to last time in John 3.27. John answered and said, a man can receive nothing unless it has been given to him from heaven. Now that was a huge statement. And it is a statement that we all need to take on board. You know, I was uh, talking to the youth and, and one of the things that, as I was just talking to them, one of the things that came out was don't ever be insecure in what you're called to do. You know, you might have a sibling that, that might be, that might seemingly have, maybe more talent or, or, or peers that might have more talent. What God has called you to do, that you do. He has anointed you to do that and there will be people that will respond to that. You see, people, people are funny things. Okay, They don't always respond to the best quality. They respond to what they like the best. That's why you know, there is no such thing as a real critic. That's just a guy that likes something that only he likes. And if he, if he I have read, you know, uh, critics say, this is really terrible and that's bad. I went and saw it, I loved it. You know what I'm trying to say? Okay, you want to criticize what doesn't minister to you. Okay, there's somebody out there that will love what you do. Amen. So whatever you want to do, whatever, wherever you're called to, understand, if you've been called to that, then God will anoint you to do that. And don't ever put your eye, cast your eye on others that have similar talent in a similar industry and say, oh, well, they're better than me. And Don't do that, man, because what you're doing now is you are making less of yourself and you're not going to now allow God to push you further forward in what you're meant to be doing. 
Do you understand? Because what happens is sometimes we get our eyes on other people and then we think, oh, we can't ever go there. Yes, that's right. You know why? Because you're not called there. You're called somewhere else. But while you keep on there, your eyes on there, you're never going to make it over here. Are you all with me? Let's move on. Okay. So, I want you to notice again, he says, a man can receive nothing unless it has been given to him from heaven. Now, <laughs> the Apostle Paul talks about some of these things in 1 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 7, which is where we're going to pick up today. He says, what makes you better than anyone else? Or what are you, pu- what are you puffed up about? What do you have that God hasn't given you? Now, that's where I want to put your focus on. What do you have that God hasn't given you? And if all you have is from God, why boast as though you have accomplished something on your own? Okay, so this runs parallel with what, again, John said, a man can receive nothing unless it has been given to him from heaven. In other words, if we put these two together, Paul says, whatever gifts you have, have been given to you by God. John says, whatever response you get from that gift is from heaven. So the gift is from heaven, and the response is from heaven. God's behind all of it. Amen? Okay. Let's get back to John chapter 3, verse 28. The Baptist now goes on to remind his disciples that he had already indicated previously that he was only the forerunner, not the Messiah. So he says here in verse 28, You yourselves bear bear me witness that I said I am not the Christ, but I have been sent before him. You know, that is a very difficult statement to make. Okay, because... You know, you you almost want to get to a place where you start defending yourself. It's funny how the more popular people get. They seem to be very humble when they're little. And then as they start going up the ladder a little bit, suddenly people sort of say, well, you know, I I know you're good, but you know, so-and-so is better. Well, excuse me, okay? There was a time you would have said, yeah, of course he's better. But now it's like, oh, we're puffed up. We're we're all upset. We're, we're, okay? Settle down. We are meant to prefer other people more than ourselves. Can I tell you the way to greatness is humility? Somebody says, oh, that person so much better. Just say, brother, go there. It's fine. I don't have a problem with that. If you, you know why? Do you know why I can say that? Because I know some people that will go, oh, that's not good. This is where it's at. See, I want those people here. I don't want somebody who wants to be somewhere else here. Because they'll take people from here somewhere else. Hello. It's not good for either of us. So if you're thinking something, you go there. I'm really happy for you to go. (laughs) Okay? Amen. (laughs) By yourself. Anyway. (laughs) Whatever. All right. (laughs) D.A. Carson writes, Unlike many preachers for whom humility is a little more than an affection, John meant what he said. Both John and Jesus were given their roles by heaven. And John was entirely content with his. I think that's awesome. Amen? That's a tremendous statement there. Okay, therefore, as R. Kent Hughes puts it, in John's life, there was no tinge of rivalry. No jealousy. No insecurity. No bitterness. Oh, that, that, that is huge. No bitterness. Okay, sometimes people can just get bitter about things, you know. And they might, they might sort of say, oh yeah, no, it's okay. But inside, it's not okay. That's what you call a root of bitterness. And you, we, we have to guard ourselves from things like that. 
Amen? Just always be careful that things aren't starting to fester up and grow inside of you that you're kind of allowing because, you know, when you really think about it, don't do that. Don't go there. Don't. Whatever reasons you, reasonings you come up with, the devil's playing with you. It's not going to be edifying. You're going to have to repent at some stage. <laughs> I guarantee you that much. Okay? You know, the best thing to do is just be okay. Just be okay. With whatever is going on, just be okay. Not what the devil is doing, but when people are doing well, be okay with that. Okay, celebrate with them. And the devil will not be able to then get you off track and get you in a place where God can't bless you. Because while you're rejoicing, God has an uninterrupted avenue of blessing. Amen? There's just no ceiling to where he can bless you. Hallelujah. And that's the place of power. Okay, so let's continue. So again, in John's life, there was no tinge of rivalry, no jealousy, no insecurity, no bitterness. And although John and Jesus were only a few miles apart, and Jesus was having much louder crowds come to him, the greater things were being said about Jesus and his ministry, John still stuck to his appointed task. So regardless of the crowds and regardless of all the good things that were being said about Jesus, he just still said, no, you know what? I told you I'm not the Messiah. Amen. Praise God. That takes guts, man. And so in order to stop any further arguments and make it absolutely clear that he was not the Christ but was sent ahead to prepare the way for the Lord, he says now in verse 29, He who has the bride is the bridegroom. Oh, this is an incredible statement. <laughs> he who has the bride is the bridegroom. He who has the bride is the bridegroom. Who has the bride? Not John, Jesus. Amen? He was the one. See, the church is His body. Remember Paul was talking about the mystery of the marriage in relation to Christ and the church? Okay? So, even the Apostle Paul understood the references and what was going on here. Okay? Jesus was the husband, we are the body of Christ. Okay? Alright. And notice he's so clear about this. He says... But the friend of the bridegroom, who stands and hears him, rejoices greatly because of the bridegroom's voice. Therefore, this joy of mine is fulfilled. So he says, I have the privilege of being the friend of the bridegroom. And I get to rejoice in what is going on here. Okay, so he's saying, I'm not going to try to take his place. I know my place. It's a good place. I mean, who else would... Can you think of all the prophets that would have liked to have been in John's shoes? I mean, they talked about the Messiah. He got to meet the Messiah. Baptize the Messiah. Hello. Okay. <laughs> okay. See heaven open up and confirm he's the Messiah. I mean, the things that went on, family. I mean, no, you know, it's the stuff that they were just hanging out to see. Amen? And he was content with that. Now, there was somebody else in heaven that wasn't content with all the wonderful things that they were given. His name was Lucifer. So we see two opposites. We see Lucifer who was dissatisfied and wanted more than he was given. We see John who was satisfied and was thrilled with what he was given. Amen? Let's be John, okay? Not the other. Okay. <laughs> 
D.A. Carson explains that the friend who attends the bridegroom is the ancient equivalent of a best man who organized the details and presided over the wedding. This friend or best man found his greatest joy in watching the ceremony proceed without a problem and in knowing that the groom and his bride were being united with great rejoicing. Further to all this, and rather obliquely, John is therefore also saying that the Jesus he has introduced to the faithful remnant in Israel is none other than Israel's King and Messiah. Oh, hallelujah. Amen. No wonder Jesus said there's no greater prophet than John. Huh? Okay. And so the more people that leave him and flock to Jesus, the greater his joy is. Wow. Now you would not, you will, I guarantee, I guarantee you, I'll put money on this now, <laughs> but I guarantee you will not find a church today that will be thrilled that everybody went to somebody that was doing a better job. They'd whine about it. They'd go, what is wrong? You know, I'm sure there's something wrong with them. Now, there are some places there's something wrong with, okay? okay I'm not saying there is. But, <laughs> okay? You know what I'm trying to say? We need to, this is unusual. Where he's thrilled when they go. Remember, he lost two disciples right at the beginning. Huh? Okay. All right. And so the more people, again, that leave him and flock to Jesus, the greater his joy is because that is exactly what he had worked to do. And why he concludes by saying, this joy of mine is fulfilled. Do you see that? That was his job, was to point everybody to the Messiah. Okay. Arkent Hughes says that his humility was the key to his greatness. Stop. Okay, that's what I was saying before. His humility was the key to his greatness. Your humility is the key to your greatness. Okay. Humility is a quality in the heart. Okay. I want you to understand that how you perceive, how you think about things in the innermost recesses of your being, in your heart, okay? That's what determines where you go. Not all the right things you say out of your mouth, but what's going on in your heart. People are great actors. They can hate something and look at, they can hate you and look at you and smile and say, yeah, yeah, I have no problem with you. And then two seconds later, they're talking behind your back. Do you understand what I'm saying? Okay? You see, God can see the heart. God looks at that heart and says, no, that's not going to get blessed. I can't bless that. Do you understand? Sometimes, I'm, I'm saying this now for this reason. Sometimes you look at someone and you think, gosh, they're so humble and you're puzzled at why God isn't doing more with them. And then you get mad with God. Hello. Okay, goes God. What is wrong with you? You know how sweet and humble. And if you could see what God saw, they probably wouldn't still be walking around because He has great mercy. You don't. Amen. And I'll leave it at that. Okay. All right. His humility again was the key to his greatness, just as it was with Moses, and it is the key to any greatness of ours. Whether we serve in a great or small place, 
It doesn't matter where you serve. It doesn't matter whether you are seen or whether you are in the background. It doesn't matter. You see, you are going to get rewarded at the end by God Himself. That reward is forever. Do you understand? These are all temporary things. And God will not be mocked. Amen? Whatever you do down here, you know, you might be the quietest thing. Nobody knows your name. But sweetheart, I will guarantee you, when you hit heaven, everybody will know you. And somebody else might be down here with a big name, and they get to heaven, and everybody goes, who are you? Okay, moving on. We should rejoice in the success of others, for we are bound together in Christ. Amen? We should rejoice because you know what? When one is doing well, we're all doing well. When one succeeds, we are succeeding. Um, Okay, let me share this with you. Just let me just take a moment and share something with you. I'll share this with you with this preface, okay? I understand that there are some churches out there that are not necessarily doing exactly everything right, okay? And... Um, they will answer to the Lord for some of the things that they're doing. Okay. Having said that, I prefer some churches that are a bit wonky than for there to be some other religious institution there. See, sometimes we have to be really careful where we're throwing our words because we, we tend to kind of want to shoot and wound and kill off our, our, you know, uh, our brethren, even if they're really horrible. <laughs> But we don't realize once we do that, there's a hole there. And it may not be filled up with what you think is going to fill it up. Amen. Do you hear what I'm saying? That's the reason why it says pray for one another. If you see something wrong in the body of Christ, pray for that. By praying for it, then somebody else that is Christian, somebody else that is right, will come and take over. But if you criticize it, all you're doing is you are shooting at it. And you are leaving it in a very vulnerable spot where something else, something else can come in and take over. Do you understand what I'm trying to say? Okay. So, always keep that in mind. With regard to what we're talking about here today. Okay? Keep that in mind whenever you're having an issue with something. Ask yourself, could there be something worse there? Am I, am I by, with my words, clearing the way for something worse to come in? Be careful. What are, what are my words doing? Ask yourself that question constantly, all right? Because your words are your prayers. All right. The Baptist then goes on to make one of the greatest statements that have ever been recorded in Holy Scripture, in John 3 and verse 30, and which should be the heartfelt prayer of every believer on the face of this earth, and that is, he must increase... But I must decrease. Now, (laughs) we have taken this and used it in all sorts of ways. So let's first of all talk about what they're talking about here. Okay. Obviously, with regard to what we're talking about here, John has already said he is happy that people are going from him to Jesus. Amen? And so he makes that very clear and he says... I must decrease. He must increase. That's where everybody needs to go. Amen? Okay. Now some people, what they do is use that on themselves and say, I must decrease in myself and let him increase in me. 
Who, who knows what I'm talking about? Oh, is that the first time you've heard it? Okay, yeah. All right. Okay. All right. And and that is correct too. We need to allow God to become bigger and bigger in us. Can I tell you why? Because all things are possible when He's in there. Nothing's possible when He's not. Nothing of significance. Can I say that? Okay. You can do stuff on your own, but the Bible calls them dead works. You can build all kinds of institutions, all kinds of stuff, but they're all dead works. And I'm talking Christians as well as non-Christians. Okay, I'm not excusing anybody on that one. What's important is that you do what God has called you to do. Is you allow God to manifest Himself through you. Amen? So that in everything that is, is being done, it is according to His will, His plan, and His purpose. You need to understand also that He will never ask you to do something that you are not going to be exceptional at. Did you hear what I said? Okay. He will never ask you to do something that you are not going to be just a shining light. And everybody goes, wow, where did this guy come from? Or girl, okay, <laughs> whatever. Okay, that's where he wants you. We fight to go and become mediocre. Well, but God, I want to do this and I'm going to ask God. Well, you know what, sweetie? You are just putting yourself in a really bad place. Then you're going to say, well, why did God make me this way? Well, if you went to him to begin with and said, God, how did you make me and where do you want me to be? He'd be saying, uh, back there, you, you should have turned right, not left. We're somewhere we shouldn't be right now. That's where, you know, it, it, it's like the turtle man. He took a right turn and ended up on the horse track. You need to go left to the ocean. You do well in water. You don't do well in the track. Except get trampled on. <laughs> you're, you're with me. Amen? Okay. Same thing for the horses, okay? They don't do well in water. Okay. Anyway. <laughs> William MacDonald writes, The entire object of John's ministry is summarized in this verse. He labored ceaselessly to point men and women to the Lord and to make them realize His true worth. Can I, can I say that again? He labored ceaselessly to point men and women to the Lord and to make them realize His true worth. Not John's true worth, but the Messiah's true worth. Okay? Alright. In doing this, John realized that he must keep himself in the background. Wow. For a servant of Christ to seek to attract attention to himself is really a form of disloyalty. Amen. Are you getting this? This is happening today. This is happening in the form of ministers saying, look at me. Give to me. I'm going to do something amazing if you just give to me. Can I just say this? We need to come to the place where we allow people to give what they want to give to the Lord. Okay? That's why we don't put pressure on anybody in this church to give. We don't get up and say, we have a building project. Mm-hmm. And if you want to put an extra $50 this week, into, we'll put a little brick with your name on it. And it will be there forever for everybody to see. That's pride. You are encouraging pride. You are encouraging something that God said shouldn't happen. Wow. I watch some of that stuff and I go, really? You know? 
palm leaf. <laughs> it's a little joke, okay? Because <laughs> all those people that go to heaven that have done something significant, okay, they get gold, silver, precious stones. The ones that just kind of scraped in, get a palm leaf to wave. That's pretty much it. No gold, silver. <laughs> okay, so, you know, I look at people that do stuff like that and think, palm leaf Christian, you know, this is what, that ain't going to have nothing in his treasure. Anyway, moving on. Arkent Hughes writes, there is no other way to live for Christ. This is an operational imperative. It is a must, not an option. God has called us to a proper philosophy. A man can receive only what he's given him from heaven. He has called us to a proper attitude. The friend who attends the bridegroom is full of joy. He has called us to the proper conduct. He must become greater. I must become less. So the attitude is... The friend who attends a bridegroom is full of joy. I'm thrilled to do what I'm doing. I'm not always whining about, well, but you know, what about that? That, that? They've got it better than me. Blah, blah, blah. No. You be happy with where you are. If you're happy with where you are, can I say this? You'll get promoted. If you're dissatisfied, I, I, I'll spend a minute with this. Okay. I, I just feel the Lord wanting me to share this with you. Attitudes. Okay. Attitudes. If you're constantly dissatisfied with where you are, what you're doing, you'll never give it your best. Do you hear? And because you're not giving it your best, nobody's going to promote you. Do you see that cycle? So whenever you're not happy with where you are, it feeds back into you don't do so well, you don't do so well, nobody push, puts you anywhere else, in, you know, other than maybe down, okay? And then which feeds back into you're not happy with where you are. Now, if you are thrilled and say, thank you, God, I have a job. I'm, you know, okay, sometimes I think I could be doing better or, or whatever, but, you know, I'm thrilled that I have this job. I'm thrilled I'm getting paid. Praise God, I just want to be the best that I can be in this job. Different attitude. Happy attitude. Somebody looks at it and goes, yeah, that person really is good at what they do. I wonder if they will be good over here. See that? Okay? So instead of trying to avoid you because you're sucking on lemons all day, okay? <laughs> okay? because you have a smile on your face and you have a great attitude, they won't actually come and talk to you. And they'll say, you know, are you happy here? You go, Absolutely. And you know what people think then? If you're happy here, you, you'll be a good asset over here in our company. Hmm? We need some people with your attitude over here. We've got some lemon suckers over there. Let's bring you in and see what happens. Huh? Trust me, that'll happen. You know why? Because you're allowing your light to shine. And people get attracted to light, whether you realize it or not. Something about you, what is it? Not telling, no. <laughs> okay. All right. Uh, two more minutes, we'll quit this session, we'll have a break, and we'll come back. Okay? All right. Commenting further on this, on the proper attitude, D.A. Carson says that John finds his joy not in grudgingly conceding victory to a superior opponent, but in wholeheartedly embracing God's will. You getting this? And the supremacy it assigns to Jesus. I mean, he just saw Jesus for everything that he was. This was the Messiah. This is God in the flesh. Wow! Don't mess with that. Amen? Because there are some that are going to mess with it. And Jesus is going to turn around and say to them, 
You are going to be in hell. You are going to be looking up and you are going to be seeing Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and you yourselves are not there. Boy, that was, that was heavy. And those people, they just went ahead and did everything that they, were, you know, they should not have done to make that happen. He warned them and warned them and warned them. Can I say this? You get choices. God can warn you, but at the end you get to choose. Amen. Finally, William Law writes, If someone is leaving you behind, doing God's will, okay, and you are becoming jealous and embittered, keep praying that he may have success in the very matter where he is awakening your envy. And whether he is helped or not, one thing is true, that your own soul will be cleansed and ennobled. That you will grow a little nearer to the stature of the Baptist. Amen? Amen. Amen. Alright, we're going to stop there. And we'll pick up here right after the break.